Music to Code By is taking the developer world by storm. Now there are six extra tracks available online in addition to the original three. That's nine Pomodoros of pure productivity just waiting for you. Check them out at mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1239, with guest Brian Randall. Recorded Tuesday, December 15th, 2015. And don't you know it's time for .NET Rocks again, right? Oh, you had a little Minnesotan there. <laughs> Uh, I'm Carl Franklin. <laughs> and I'm Richard Campbell. And here we are again. Yes, indeed. Brian Randall is here. We're going to be talking with him about some DevOps, some good, juicy, gooey DevOps. Nice. Mm-hmm-mm. And uh, But how are you doing, Richard? I'm all, all good, you know? We we're still months away from being back in the office downstairs. You know, it, it just takes a long time, right, to yeah. Clear everything out and get it all rebuilt. And uh, what can I tell you? If you haven't been paying attention, Richard's basement flooded. That's where his office is. Well, it was. It's not yeah. there anymore. Just a big shell of a room. Yeah. It's all yeah, all cleaned out. No flooring stuff. The server closet's intact because I built it 18 inches off the ground because mm-hmm. I'm smart. Mm-hmm. But uh, And we're relaying out the office too. So I have the designer in and we're changing some things around. So it's, yeah. uh, you know. Take, might as well make some good out of a complete mess of my basement. Do a few renovations while we're at it. Right. All right. Well, roll the music. It's time for a better note of framework. Awesome. All right, dude. What do you got? You might want to call this better know your customer because this oh. is a great blog post that's been being passed around from December 10th of last year. This is uh, it, the blog post is entitled Why.net. It's by Omar Kudiera. And essentially, it's it's not what you think it is. Basically, he's saying you you get asked that a lot, and uh, pe- you know, in, in today's day and age, in today's Microsoft, totally different than just five years ago. And the ecosystem has changed. No longer are there .NET shops and you know Java shops. There are just shops, and they use a lot of everything. And so this is where things are going. So, you know, when somebody suggests, hey, we'll use C Sharp for this or we'll use .NET or ASP.NET, um, but and somebody else says, why? You know, why would we go down that? They're not asking why embrace Microsoft uh, products and only Microsoft products, or they might be embraced. They might be thinking that's the question, but it's not. And so that's what he's talking about. It's, it's, um, there, in the past, Microsoft had this anti-competitive stance for many, many years, and it was all about being the platform that people chose, and it's just not that way anymore. So I thought it was a really good, balanced kind of uh, argument that reflects the sentiment, the, the zeitgeist of the day. What's the link? It's at tinyurl.com slash y.net. So uh, the the crux of it is, he says, although we built Pangea's platform using .NET, we're not a Microsoft shop. We're a technology shop. That means our tech stack is quite diverse. We use MySQL, Redis, RabbitMQ, Git, TeamCity, EC2, S3, and Chef. They also use .NET. And so they have a stack that is is very, very diverse. And this is just the way it is today. So we shouldn't expect our customers to be Microsoft and only Microsoft. It's just not the way it is. Yeah, I and mean, it has been for a long time. Yeah, sure. Uh, cool, now man. more than ever. Yep. That's what I got, man. Who's talking to us? Love it. I grabbed a comment off of show 1056, the one we did with Brian, when we talked about Visual Studio Online. And that's a while ago. That's like November of 2014. Mm-hmm. And this comment comes from Charles Byrne, who says, uh, this was a good show. I hope to hear more about Visual Studio Online because I'm still on the fence. The product line has been problematic. 
Visual source save was a nightmare, which I think is completely unfair. Mm. You know, Brian Harry, when we asked him that question a long time ago, he says, hey, this was the first GUID source control. You guys right. just did a lot more with it than it was ever designed to do. Uh, TFS 2005 felt like a beta product. Meh, that's fair. It sort of was. Yeah. And when we moved to TFS 2010, branching was still problematic, and the informative message, there is a merge conflict, please resolve conflicts and try again, was quite fun to figure out, especially when there were no conflicts shown. <laughs> this would ruin an otherwise productive day. Clicking get latest from Solution Explorer, but finding out later that you didn't have the latest was interesting. Out of habit, we'd forcefully get the latest version, and the TFS server workspace configurations to sometimes change our default source control and branching strategy because of file locking on checkouts. Using TFS and workspaces was under different virtual machines was tricky as well. Now I'm in another job which uses subversion, and yes, SVN is dated, but it's been solid for years and years. We are a mixed platform shop. This is the best source control option at the time for both OSX, Java, and Windows. Why is Java in there? It's not an operating system, but okay. <laughs> uh, for continuous integration, we're slowly getting Jenkins set up, and it looks promising. I use hmm. Tortoise SVN and Ankh SVN plugin for Visual Studio, nice. and I couldn't be happier. Merges, unit tests are so much easier. With all that being said, we're still open to Visual Studio Online and GitHub and Mercurial. We are considering an upgrade in the near future, but I fear that too many .NET developers here have experienced the problems and shortcomings with earlier versions of TFS. Yeah, you know what? The early versions had some troubles there. There's no reason to give up on it now. I mean, this is a this is a year old comment, right? And uh, and certainly it's. The last they used was TFS 2010. It's easy to be annoyed, but 2012, 2013, 2015 came a long way and uh, still works with everything else. So I thought it was a fair conversation about people's frustrations mm -hmm. around actually what it takes to manage all these things. I'm sure Brian will have some comments as well. So, Charles, thank you so much for your comment. .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of the social media. We publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And, of course, we tweet. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. We love the tweets. Send them, send them, send them. And that brings us to our guest. Brian Randall is well-known developer, speaker, author, and technologist. He's currently a partner with MCW Technologies, a consulting firm, and co-founder of DuoMyth, a new born-in-the-Microsoft-Cloud software-as-a-solution education platform company. Very cool. I'd like to talk to you about that. Uh, for more than 25 years, he has been building software solutions. He educates teams on Microsoft technologies via writing and training, both in-person and on-demand. He's currently a Visual Studio and Development Technologies MVP, focusing on DevOps, Agile Development Practices, Virtualization, and Microsoft Azure. When not working, Brian enjoys spending time with his wife and two children who enjoy making him look bad on the Xbox One with and without Connect. Nice. <laughs> Welcome back, Brian. Thanks, guys. Love to be back. And last time we saw you, I think we were all in Israel together. That's right. It's crazy, what? About a week and a half ago. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> We're recording <laughs> we all these around. shows before Christmas so that we can have Christmas off. This show comes out at the beginning of January. So happy new year. What's funny is, you know, we day tripped that thing. We like flew in, got there the next day and we're looking over the thing and say, Hey, want to have dinner with Brian Randall? And Richard goes, oh, he's here. <laughs> we didn't even know you were there. It's like, <laughs> we're just, Hey, I know you. Yeah, I know you. It, it is funny to be around the globe and to run into people that, oh, did I just see you somewhere? All right. Yeah. Wasn't it the other side of the world? Yeah, I think it was. It was beautiful. For us, it though. definitely is. Israel uh, we, was beautiful. We stayed, I, I had my wife with me when we were in Israel, so I, we stayed a few extra days and uh, just a fantastic place. We had mm. such a good time there. Me too. I only stayed for a day, but I had two meals and they were both amazing. <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, it's been a while, buddy, and uh, I've been paying close attention to the sort of state of what it takes to run a DevOps stack using Microsoft tooling. What are you seeing out in the field? Well, I think we're, you know, you know, Richard, you and I have been beating this drum for years now. Yeah. I remember, you know, doing it back in 2011, 2012, and doing talks to, let's just say, some small rooms. Uh, <laughs> Not what Big Daddy's used to. <laughs> nope. And um, 
it's totally changed. And I'd really say the last six months in particular, you know, we're getting big rooms, lots of interest. And more importantly, last couple of years, I've been doing it in anger with customers on the ground. Nice. <laughs> um, I think the number one thing before we get into any of the tech is just we're still dealing with a human problem, man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, getting people and organizations to understand what it means. It's kind of like when people thought agile meant anarchy, that it didn't mean specs, didn't mean <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I just Everybody like the concept. With agile meant anarchy. Exactly. Yeah. And with, with DevOps, we're seeing a lot of the same misunderstandings, you know, especially when some of the examples are these unicorns in the cloud that are doing this, you know, 10 deploys plus deploys a day into right. production. Um, and you get people kind of weirded out. Um, so definitely it's, it's dealing with psychology. I do a lot of psychology consulting when I'm on the ground. Um, mm, the tech isn't as hard. The tech's getting better, man. The tools are pretty darn awesome out there. Um, and we have so many choices. You know, you guys talked about in the intro of the show about just how Microsoft is all about inclusion and everything. I mean, right. I, I always show up at a gig now with a Windows box and my my Mac, and now I'm building demos on Linux and Java. What the heck is right. going on? Right. Dogs, cats <laughs> living together. It's <laughs> not your daddy's Microsoft. <laughs> exactly. Your daddy's ecosystem. No. And so I think that's really changing. And I think, you know, you brought up that reader uh, letter about Visual Studio Online. Well, let's start with the fact that it's got a new name, uh, Visual Studio Team Services. Yes, VSTS lives. Um, and probably the biggest thing is that Microsoft in, in, in this world and embracing DevOps is saying, you know what? We understand you're going to bring different pieces and we just want to be there for you wherever we can. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, maybe you want to use GitHub. The company, not even the get the product, GitHub the company for your version control. But guess what? We'll provide some great build and release management services. So you can do that today. Use Visual Studio Team Services, aka Visual Studio Online, with GitHub. And it's a very symbiotic relationship. Whereas in the past, it's like if you didn't use all of Microsoft stuff, you were hosed. And so, you know, Richard and, you know, Carl, I'm really seeing a great world out there right now, both yeah. on premises and the cloud. Right. I, and I, I like I, the reason I brought that um, blog post up is because I had some guys uh, talk to me up in Boston at the Microsoft uh, Center up there, and they wanted to just take me out to lunch and pick my brain in terms of what they should use, you know. And and they're getting pushback from their customers about .NET, but it's because they think the it's the wrong question, you know. They think the question is should we be a, a .NET shop? which was the question they were answering, asking themselves, you know, five, six years ago. Now it's not, not even that question. It's, you know, are we going to include any of these Microsoft technologies, including Azure? And I guess that's a, a part of this whole equation here is how much of this DevOps story is Azure centric? Well, obviously Microsoft wants you to use their cloud. Um, that is, you know, it's, it's all Azure all the time. Mm -hmm. Let's be very clear. But if we step back, they're continually, at least on the development side, to say, look, we understand you have an on-premises investment, and we will provide you consistently a good experience. Now, some of the new innovative stuff may not show up on-premises first. A good example is release management. They have this new great version that is in preview and available now publicly in Visual Studio Team Services. You're not going to get that on-premises probably, if, if I was a betting man, no earlier than middle of next calendar year, so middle of hmm. 2016. Uh, it's coming. They've committed to it. It will be on-premises. But... Because they can control the environment in the cloud, they can iterate much faster, right? They just finished their last update for the year last week. Mm. They've been iterating and updating about every three weeks. And so, yeah, if you're in the cloud, you're going to get the latest and greatest innovations. But honestly, some people are saying, look, I can't handle that update cadence. So they, they're okay waiting a little bit. The problem, of course, is when you're trying to embrace something like DevOps, it's always, I need that and I need it yesterday, Right. Yeah. So there obviously is some friction there. But yeah, you know, Microsoft is definitely saying, look, we love the cloud. We think Azure is the place to be for everybody. We're going to innovate there first. But they're mm -hmm. not ignoring on premises, at least not yet. Yeah, I guess there's a real, and in, there's several pieces of this. Sure. Right. I mean, one part there is managing the development project in the cloud. You know, that's totally separate from managing the deployment in the cloud, like actually running the app. You may still want to run, run the app on premise, but it's kind of, you know, VSO offers an awful lot. Okay. VSTS. I hate that we reuse names <laughs> running up, up, up in the cloud is fine. For me as a guy helping companies with large scale websites, testing in the cloud 
is just the most sensible thing you could possibly do. Mm-hmm. His speed of test matters a lot. And being able to light up a huge number of instances of a website, run all the tests in parallel, and consolidate all the resources literally in a few minutes, nothing touches that. I couldn't do that on-premise if I wanted to. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cloud-based load testing that's available is, is, is a prime example of where the cloud shines. And the great thing that to be clear, this release management that is in VSTS in the cloud can be used to deploy on premises, assuming right. you just set up the trusted connection. There's lots of different ways to do this from the extreme end of things like ExpressNet with Azure to just the fact of opening up certain ports on your firewall and putting an agent on there for those specific relationships. So the key thing to understand is you can do most of your development in the cloud, yet deploy and manage on-premises solutions. It's only in environments where you're just so afraid of the internet that you've got it locked down um, that you're not going to succeed. Well, this is where you still get back to this idea of is source code an asset? Is it something I have to keep inside my firewall? Is it something that needs to be defended like that? Well, and, and you know, a big problem with that is, let's be honest, unless you really are taking the serious... I'd almost say extreme management perspective that your developers are not allowed to take code offsite. You've disabled their USB drives. They can't right. email code. In other words, the number of developers that I see walk out of the office with their entire source code on their laptop, which mm. is not BitLockered, is not encrypted, right. and you're worried about it being stored in a, you know, I don't even know what the class rating is for Azure data centers all, but the chances of you getting data out of Azure right now is really low compared mm, to low. someone's laptop and, who leaves it in Starbucks. And even if you did, there'll be a good record of it happening. It's way more controlled than that laptop walking out of your office. Right. Exactly. And that's why I find it some, what a joke. I mean, I do run into situations that customers say they can't do it and they do have a secure environment where it's like they check my laptop at the door. So right. I have been in those places, but those are so few and far between. It's somewhat of a red herring to use that as the excuse as to why you can't use Visual Studio online. Sorry, VSTS. Oh my God. <laughs> See, it's happening to you, man. I mean, unarguably, the VSTS name is a better name because when I look at what the offering actually is. It's about services for your team. Sure. So that's a good name. It's just a used name. Yeah. Well, it, you'll, you understand that, uh, you know, a lot of the MVPs, we have fun with it because we have old shirts that say VSTS on it. But the Microsoft's <laughs> uh, official uh, shortening version, you'll see them use VS Team Services. So they, they're trying to not, they're not trying that's to, that's going to fix everything right yeah. there. That's the solution. Well, you're, you know, your comment about, uh, doing psychological consulting really hit home with me. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think that more, uh, I think our, our listeners need more help with that than they do the, the tools. And I think you're absolutely right. They're, the tools are awesome these days, but getting the customers to commit to using them, uh, even, even in a diverse, uh, ecosystem. Yeah, you know, w- one of the the first things, of course, is stopping the us versus them attitude, right? Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of over the years the mistrust between developers for throwing over the wall crappy code. Uh, developers look at the IT pros, the people who manage the data centers being draconian. You won't let me do my my job, man. You know, mm-hmm. you don't make things available. And so it's really getting that communication opening up. Um, at the management level, one of the big problems is, you know, it's people giving up control and power. Yeah. Because often what I tell people to do is say, look, you know, particularly in the case where I tend to have a higher ratio of devs to IT pros, it's like, give me, you know, to go to the IT manager and say, I need one of your admins, one of your people who has access to the servers can manipulate and upgrade things and bring them onto the dev team and make them responsible at, to that team is hard because you're saying, oh, I'm going to give up headcount. I'm going to give up authority. And that's really hard for people. And so getting a good DevOps culture is making sure you say we're all this together. So it starts with that building the team beyond the development team. In other words, building the organizational teams. The other thing where we're seeing success consistently over and over again is getting more laser focused on delivery of products end to end. This is what Microsoft does with Visual Studio Team Services. A team owns a feature end to end. So for example, Visual Studio Team Services has things like agile project management, obviously version control build. And so if we take version control, for example, there's a team that owns that end-to-end from feature to production, and they all work together. So you have people that are focused on, obviously, coding, people focused on specs, and then you have the people that are focused on, actually, production deployments, and they own it end-to-end. And we really need to see that same type of ownership for teams that are successful in other organizations. So think about a product or a section of a product as a service 
and have that end-to-end ownership. Um, that's where you really have to get it going. But that that's right there. Like I said, Carl, you have to get people at the table and to say, look, we're going to give this a go. And it doesn't just work overnight. you got to give it a good anywhere from six weeks to as much as six months. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify. Our dev-centric friends at Stackify have been awarded PC Magazine's Editor's Choice for Application Performance Management, stating the depth of application information provided by Stackify totally outshined the other products in this category. Because Stackify so successfully integrates errors, logs, and metrics into a core APM Plus tool, it's a must-have for .NET developers, which is why PC Magazine's Paul Farrell calls it one of the best infrastructure management services of 2015. Try Stackify now for free, and they'll ship you their coveted Developers Against Humanity card game. Just activate your account. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks to build better apps faster and get your free game. Have any advice for those who are just blowing against the wind? I mean, if you find yourself, uh, if you're a leader type personality, that can be easy for you. But if you are, you know, you, you're the guy in the meeting who says, you know, one, we could do this in Azure and everybody yells, ah, and throws paper at you, you know, maybe it's time to move on, I suppose. But I mean, I, obviously I don't give up that easy. So yeah, one of one of the big things that I tell developers, right, if they want to be uh, what we you know like to call an agent of change, is to stop delivering documents on how to install and configure your application. Start mm. delivering PowerShell scripts and automation. Start giving that as a as a, as an offering, as a blood offering to mm. the gods of IT Pro Land mm. to show <laughs> that hey, we can start using automation because that's one of the key success stories in any DevOps environment is getting the humans who make mistakes out of the way. So bring a little awesome to the table and say, see, instead of just uh, you know, here's how you, you should how automate. You it. should do it. I'm going to do it, and here it is. Exactly, and it's it's all about sharing, right? Um, you know, if we go back to uh, Allsup and uh, Hammond and their uh, 10 plus deploys a day of their Flickr talk, one of the ways they started doing that was having a shared version control. In the world of Windows, that lingua franca is going to be PowerShell. If you don't yeah. know PowerShell, you know, you need to know it. It's just like being a web developer, not knowing JavaScript, you're a dead person. Right? Yeah. You need to be know that. And so if you bring these automation scripts to the table, and hey, maybe you'll use them in dev and test, right? Maybe they're not used in production, but you start showing the value proposition that is automation. Those IT pros will see that and go, hey, that looks kind of awesome, right? Because understand that people like Jeffrey Snover and others are pushing PowerShell down the IT pros throat every yeah, day. Right. So they'll see that .ps1 file and go, ooh, there might be goodness in there. And that's a really a, a, a good blood offering between you and those IT pros. <laughs> it's crazy. We're talking about these tribal kind of uh, situations, but that's really what they are, isn't it? It is. Fundamentally, man, it blood is. Blood offering. Well, and that oh. video is hilarious because I think uh, AllSpot does this whole bit on, you know, uh, developers are like Spock and <laughs> operations is like Scotty, right? <laughs> Totally. <laughs> one, one sits right beside the, the, uh, the leader and is very focused and directed and, and, you know, has, has the ear of, of management. The other one's down in the bowels screaming and yelling about how much trouble we're all in. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the video, I've, I've included the link to it. Like it is so worth watching. Oh, and the great. thing that's staggering is it's seven years old. Wow. It is. I, I still reference it today because there's so much truth in there. I got so see much it. truth. It sounds it's, hilarious. It's wonderful. And, uh, Brian, do you tend to tackle this from a dev perspective? You work on the sort of continuous integration side first? Well, it's usually where I get brought in, right? I'm known right. mostly at the dev community, so that's typically where I start. I mean, I try immediately to find out who the IT pros are and start building those those relationships. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You know, we've had mm-hmm. I had great success at a, a large company in the Pacific Northwest, not Microsoft, another one. Um and we did some really good stuff working with them. In fact, one of the solutions we ended up doing at the time, this is about two years ago, is we actually went with Chef for their deployment because, A, they needed heterogeneous deployment, right. and Microsoft stuff wasn't there. So they're using on-premises TFS, uh, lots of good stuff, they're building web apps, and they're upgrading a legacy uh, click-once application, a uh, two-tier application. And But they were trying to do some stuff with Linux and some other stuff, and they said, we need a solution now. And I said, well, you know what? The Chef stuff is really good. They got a good relationship with Microsoft. It's a, it's a good place to start. So we did that. That worked out well. On the other hand, I was at a uh, large company 
uh, down south in Texas. And let's just say uh, the continued friction to where my guys ended up going rogue and, and they actually installed uh, uh, their own Team City server and an Octopus Deploy server because Central IT was managing and controlling TFS with a draconian thumb and they just couldn't get stuff done. And so when you're talking to shop with 1,500 developers, that's just what's going to happen. So yeah, yeah, I've seen it both ways. I dealt with a customer who her whole team just moved their stuff over to AWS, never told IT. <laughs> and, and, and then they're winning awards oh, inside of the organization because they moved, they wrote so much software, got it out so fast. And then somebody finally figured out, hey, you're not actually using any of our infrastructure. <laughs> no, we're not. Surprise. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And, and so, you know, Carl, you talk, you know, we talk about some of the psychology of the nice ways to do it. And then Richard, you go to the other extreme, which is sometimes you just got to go rogue. Um, you can circumvent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm throwing my run as radio hat on here as well. When I've had an opportunity to engage with operations, there's two things that they got really excited about. One is, is instrumentation in, in production in general, just being able to know the truth. But the other one, the, and that's sort of the hook is direct reporting of production errors back to development. Like being able to capture the errors as they occur on the web server and turn them into work items so that you're no, it's no longer operations responsibility to collect up these errors and write bug reports that get attacked. Instead, they're happening. Every time an error occurs, there's a bug report filed automatically. Well, yeah, totally. I mean, this is obviously one of the hottest areas in DevOps out there is this, you know, a- operational analytics. Uh, Microsoft mm-hmm. has application insights. Preemptive has some great stuff. You got the New Relic guys, uh, Golden Egg. I mean, they're just, the, the list is long. But fundamentally, they all started with this, this root need of let's separate all the noise and find that really clean signal and get that to the right people. And also, whenever possible, find the problem before your users do. And if we can do that on a regular basis, find out, yes, it's because the server's low on disk space. Great. Ops fix that. Oh, you got an untrapped error that's been popping off a thousand times a minute. <laughs> that's a dev problem. <laughs> you know, let's, let's start doing that. And it's, it's basically creating that closed loop cycle where a release isn't a point in time. It isn't a milestone. It's just a continuous journey. We're releasing yeah. every possible moment we can. For some companies, that's once a month. For others, it's every day. Yeah, I think it's really tough to – the problem with the 10 deploys a day is everybody looks at that and goes, you know, I'm struggling to do this every 12 weeks. What the heck are you talking about? Well, I, and I think the big thing is to look at that as just as a story, as something to right. to hold on to to show that there is the possible. It's kind of like that art of the possible. It doesn't mean that you need to do that. It's having the ability to do it because you trust what you're building, right? And so it goes down to those root things. Do we have good quality? Well, are you doing unit testing? We're still beating the unit testing drum. And it's 2016, guys. What mm-hmm. the yeah. heck is going on? Right. <laughs> um, the fact that we need better deployment strategies that are automated so we aren't handing 30-page Word documents to people to figure out how to get an app deployed. Right. right? So we're not afraid to do that upgrade the weekend before some big event, right? To where we feel confident in what we're doing. And that's what we're really trying to do. So yeah, 10 plus plus a day, I'm not asking the average shop to do that. Far from it. What I'm asking you is to have this belief in your team and the quality that you're delivering to try and to be able to embrace this moment in time that says, look, we can give our customers what they want faster and not have to wait this 12 weeks because we do have our crap together. The one place where I found uh, we up deployment rate substantially was an e-commerce site we were working with where marketing was wanting to do advertising A-B testing. And so, you know, we had originally built a CMS sort of off the side of the website so they could insert new ads whenever they wanted. And as a consequence, about once a month, they broke the site. Because let's face it, you stick new ads in the site. They're not just JPEGs, right? Sometimes there's JavaScript attached to them and so forth. Sometimes they break the site. And the philosophical problem here was that's new code. It needs to be tested. Mm. And so for us, it was we got to t- four deploys a day, two in the morning and two in the afternoon, so that they could A-B test advertising because it made money. But at least now it was tested properly, so it was safe. And it really was uncoupling the deploy from the check-in. You know, that's that's totally a big step is, you know, it's it's trying to get these automated processes around from the check-in experience all the way through. Because it's there's always that woulda, coulda, shoulda, what do we want to do? Well, start at the root. 
when does a developer commit code into the team world? So if you're using something like Git, so you do a commit and push, or if you're using things like TFVC and you do a check-in and then someone has to emerge out of your dev branch into something uh, higher up, more stable. Sure. It's really determining, you know, do I feel confident that what I'm checking in is not a pile of poo, right? I mean, because <laughs> that, that's really what, what this is all about. Mm. And it's really started back at that root level, right? Are we unit testing? Are you doing some basic smoke tests? Are you checking these? And then do you have a place to put the code and get a larger level of integration testing, whether it's, you know, someone actually banging on it in front of a keyboard or you have some kind of automated tests or even unit tests, you know, or integration tests pretending to be unit tests, whatever you have. But it's that rethinking what it means to commit code to the repo and really bringing up the quality bar there that will, just totally change your success level across the DevOps landscape because what you're trying to ultimately prove is that I'm checking in good stuff and therefore we could push all the way to production in one continuous moment if that's what we want to do. We don't have to, but if we want to, we could because I know what I put in there is of high quality and meets a good level of uh, a good quality bar set by the team. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. Uh, It must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to announce my new online course, Psychromoft Shower Pell for the Vocally Dyslexic. (laughs) What? Psychromoft Shower Pell. (laughs) All right. It's actually time to give away a Component One Studio to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, Grape City Active Reports is the reporting platform for all your business needs. Design, publish, view, print, and export operational reports such as invoices, expense reports, tax and government forms, as well as strategic and analytical reports such as sales performance, budgeting, and revenue analysis. Active Reports gives you the operation and flexibility you need to turn your data into informative, pixel-perfect reports across the enterprise. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Bill Napier from Barbersville, West Virginia. Congratulations, Bill. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Bill. And uh, he just won the Component One Studio from Grape City. That's a big pile of awesome from them. If you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. And every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And Brian, it's your turn. Five grand. Go shopping. What are you buying? <laughs> oh. <laughs> this guy does not have any problems. <laughs> no, I know. Okay, he, he does not well, want for anything. Yeah, I, I've, got, I've got hardware issues. So right now, if I took my five grand... And I was looking for the next best year. I'd probably go in and buy a ThinkPad P70, 64 gigs of DDR4 RAM, mobile Xeon processor, and up to three terabytes of PCIe goodness. That's like a server. It is. It is a server. It's a server in my pocket, basically, yeah. <laughs> um, so they've actually just, they just started taking orders. Unfortunately, they don't have all the options available yet. So my wallet is saved until the new year. Um, so I won't be trying to get in a last minute tax credit, but, uh, yeah, that would, that would be where I'd spend my money. Um, I actually, if you don't get the Xeon, you can get almost everything I mentioned there and get it under five grand. If you, ah. if you pop in the Xeon and go full bore on the SSDs from, uh, Lenovo, it kind of gets a little expensive, but the 64 gig of RAM isn't actually that expensive. And that just, you know, yeah. just brings pitter patter to my virtualization heart. It's the SSDs that take the money isn't it those pcie yeah they're they're not cheap right now but the 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 perf on them is insane i mean you're talking yeah, it's smoking fast yeah like four times the perf of your typical high-end ssd that's on a, a sata 3 bus so it's just wow. just wicked fast wicked fast wicked fast wicked wicked yeah yes good gadgets good stuff all right. So, uh, obviously an advocate of Visual Studio team services for, for managing development stack. And this is whole idea of just doing your dev in the cloud. Maybe you're testing the cloud, even if you deploy on prem and a few different instrumentation options. I mean, what are the other pieces of the equation here when we really talk about an end to end solution? Uh, well, probably the other big thing that people are, are really grappling with is package management. Package hmm. management is turning into the next generation DLL hell, right? Yep. 
And, and so I think that's the big thing we've got. The problem is I don't think we have definitive leaders in the .NET space. Obviously, we have NuGet uh, that Microsoft supports and provides, but it doesn't have everything. Uh, Microsoft has introduced something uh, into Visual Studio Team Services that will be coming to TFS also called Package Management, of all things. Um, and then you have things like Chocolatey. You have the OneGit. And then there's third-party products out there. There's MyGit. There's ProGit. Um, and then, of course, we have the non.NET stuff. We got NPM out there. Um, and then you have products like Artifactory. And so right now, I think that's another exciting area, which is how do I do things like dependency management? You know, we're running to this, you know, we went from DLL hell to this package hell of making sure we get the right reference to the right component and all of its supporting components. Um, you know, I talked about one of those companies I was working with, and one of the projects we had to do was when someone makes a change to a shared component, in other words, a component used in other parts of the product, how do we make sure that that doesn't break everything else? So it was trying to come up with a cascading build architecture that would, hey, you check in here, we know all the people that depend on you, we're going to go rebuild them, and we're going to run a whole suite of automated tests to see if you've totally hosed us. Because that's one of the big problems people run into is that some common library gets updated and you see these cascading failures across your enterprise right. because it's used everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, you can still get into that trap of one dev decides he needs a new version of a particular library, pushes it out, and it, it sort of infects everything. But is this what configuration as code is all about? Well, it, it is to some degree. I think once again, it's it's evolving the practices. You know, it's we have all these leading innovative ways to build software, mm -hmm. but the number of developers that actually build software that way is few and far between. Right? We, I was just on a list uh, this afternoon where someone's asking about a, a version control issue related to developers using and coding against WinForms. <laughs> so wow. Huh. You know, I mean, as much as we have on one hand this extreme world of, you know, the latest JavaScript library of the day, you know, there's lots of enterprises building traditional software with traditional mechanisms. I mean, we're still having to train people on things like dependency injection and using inter, uh, interfaces um, mm -hmm. and not the UI interface. We're talking programmatic interfaces. So I would say that, yeah, it turns out that some of the stuff well, it should be old hat is not. We're not. We're still. We still have a generation of programmers that has not embraced some of these new mechanisms of building software. And we've done a few shows in the new get chocolatey box starter space, where it's like you can build up a set of scripts that will instantiate your application from scratch, at least in the cloud. It's harder to do it on prem, building all everything every time. So that, you know now you can do diffs. Right. This is the new build compared to the old build. What's changed? You know, the stuff you can really measure and can check in. Yeah, we're, we're definitely, I think, seeing some movement there. And I think, once again, it's it's moving away from this idea that we need to have lots of shared things. Um, right. Look at the .NET framework, right? Mm -hmm. Changing to a model with supporting native compilation. The idea that yeah. you can deploy an entire app, including the .NET framework, into a directory because disk space is cheap. Yeah. And yeah. so we take that level and then throw containers, right? The new hot thing out there. We start really rethinking about what configuration means and where we can start getting some better isolated deployment models. And yes, I think that coupled with con configuration as code, um, DSC on Windows, um, obviously the puppet guys and uh, the chef guys have some things going for, for non-Windows. But fundamentally rethinking what it is, it's just, it takes a while to get people over there because things with like Docker and containers, the way they work, well, they, they don't support GUIs. They're only good for server-side applications like web apps, mm. right? And sadly, people still have to interact with some kind of UI representation. And so we're still doing some of the complexities there as we move people off of some of the traditional Win32 desktop style applications. Yet then we have this reverse problem, which is, oh, everybody pull your cell phone out of your pocket. What do people want on their phones? They want apps. Right. Right. So, yeah, I think it's I think we're all going to stay employed for a long time. It's just we're we're solving some of the old problems and finding new problems. Well, there's always more to do, right? Like there's no, there's certainly no end yep. to, to that aspect of it. For both well, devs and IT. Yeah. Well, exactly. And that's why when people worry about losing their jobs to automation, it's like, folks, I have never found an organization that will not find more things for you to build and create right. if you use automation, right? <laughs> yeah. The automate yourself out of that role, there's a dozen other roles for you that could also stand to be automated, which is kind of fun, actually. Exactly. I mean, that's what the great stuff is. I mean, I'm not you, but I continue to have fun every day when I wake up. <laughs> 
Well, and it, and I think this is where products like Chef really shine is that is something built from scratch. To actually, this is also we have heard Docker described. You know, we've talked about containers for a while now. Just this idea of you know virtualizing at the OS level rather than at the at the BIOS level. But the other way I've heard it described is here is a virtualization technology that from scratch was built to be configuration as code. Because VMs just weren't built that way in the beginning and we're trying to retrofit it in. But this idea that you can literally have a script that will build every element of that container top to bottom, mm. that's what they're thinking. Absolutely. You know, and what we're seeing also as, as an evolution of that is also creating these baseline containers that have a known set of services, whether it's something right. like ASP.NET or uh, MySQL or, you know, any of the other stacks that you need available. And then your app gets dropped on top of that and being able to have these, you know, Docker libraries or these container libraries available to you and kind of this building block approach. And so you take the idea that I have these building blocks and then, yes, I just define some kind of script and say, go forth and give me five of these. Um, it's, it's really like it's powerful a new stuff. level of, um, of platform as a service to have a bunch of stuff pre-configured in a container that you don't need to own anymore. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Why do I need to worry about that? It's just there. It's one more thing. It's very Jetsons. <laughs> it's very high <laughs> level. Pockets. It's very high level, you know? Uh, well, push the I right buttons at the right pushing time. Pushing finger is killing me. Yeah, well, <laughs> pushing finger is killing me. <laughs> uh, you know, the other place that I feel like the Microsoft stack is lacking is serious test automation. Well, it's there's a lot out there. It's just, do you want to live in that space, right? You know, testers are, are a problem for devs and people like me because they break stuff. They make me look bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, they f they find out where what you said this code was supposed to do and what it actually does doesn't match up. Right. Yeah, you know, Microsoft has been investing heavily on this over the years. I mean, got, good God, if we go back to 96, I did a talk on visual test at Tech yeah. Um, but I think it's it's once again it's an evolving world where where do you put your test dollars is a big thing you know automation is that holy grail but one of the problems you have with you do automate automated testing of user experiences is the fact that when UIs change a lot of the testing tools tend to be very brittle mm -hmm. uh, and so what we're trying to do is number one that root level testing at the unit test level and at the component level okay but then when we do get to user experience how can we test and Microsoft's made some great announcements. They got some new browser-based plugins for doing automated testing and manual testing. And they continue to invest in the tools and technologies. And like you said, from the cloud-based load testing and performance testing to actual doing user interface testing. The biggest problem we have, though, is just there's so many possible UI libraries out there, right? Yeah. Um, and so even Microsoft, you know, Brian Harry talked about this, God, this is four or five years ago that Microsoft actually was reducing the amount of automated test suites they were implementing. And the reason was is that it was actually causing friction between innovation inside Visual Studio and delivering the product because if they wanted to change you know, a dialogue, the test guys would come back, well, you're going to break a 1,000 of our tests if you do that. Mm. And it just wasn't acceptable. So they said, look, something's got to change. And that's why you know, Microsoft has really rethought what it means to be doing testing in a modern software organization to where they got rid of a lot of their quote-unquote testers, right? They've put quality on top of the developer. Now, as the cynic, I find this kind of like when you go to a hotel and they say, hey, you know, save the planet, don't wash your sheets and don't uh, <laughs> yeah, do towels. towels every day, yeah. <laughs> and right. don't get me wrong, I don't do it every day at home, so I'm okay with that. But I, the cynic of me says, you're doing that just to save money. Yeah. And so when I see Microsoft do it, it's like, well, yeah, you're doing that because sadly, it seems like sometimes all software companies, you know, Google, the products in beta for two years, they give it to us and we're the ones who find the bugs. Yeah. But that's becoming the reality of this rapid cadence, right? You can't do everything all the time. Testing, user testing. And, it, and it, I think it's really interesting to figure out what tests you can automate that aren't super brittle, that give people confidence that they can modify software and not smash it. Well, absolutely. And it's really that distinction between the, the logic and the fundamental plumbing of the application versus the UI experience. Yeah. In fact, do I it's need to It's not do in I the UI that yeah, exactly. you can put that kind of rigid set of testing in, but certainly there's a set of behaviors you could expect from your services that should be able to green light every time. There's a whole, uh, what shall we say, a whole class of people out there of, of users that are still afraid to use software you know and i i don't mean 
the guys that are in our community. I just mean users, end users. The, you know, the, there's something about the software that makes it look like if I breathe on it, I'm going to do something bad, you know? Well, I mean, it's, it, I mean, that's, a, isn't that the problem, right? You know, software and technology permeates our daily lives so much. You know, it's just like I get afraid when I see an update come through on the phone that I got to do to my wife's phone because she lives on it. If that stops working, who gets beat up? Me. It's yeah. not, it's not Apple. Yeah, it's not Microsoft's right. fault. It's my fault. Darn it. You go <laughs> fix it. Otherwise, you ain't getting any food or anything else in this house. Change is good. You go first. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and why change? You know, they weren't complaining, right? Right. Why? Why would you change that? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Why did you? Why did they change that? It's like, and I have to say, I don't know. You know, my my mother in law comes to me. Why did they update my phone uh, for security? But I didn't care. It worked fine. Right. Yeah, just leave it alone. When, until, it, you know, it's interesting how forced those things are now. Like, try and avoid updating software on a phone these days. It, it, it's really demanding it. Oh, yeah, and you get those. And then, and then you have the OCD in someone, and you see those, like, if you have iOS, and you have those little red circles, and those red circles show up on your apps as notifications. You see, you know, a 1,000 unread emails, mm. 50 apps that need to be updated, 40 calendar appointments. No, make it stop. Nice. Well, you know, it, and it is sort of just isolated to the phones, isn't it? Because, you know, when on, on the PC, at least they on Windows, they've figured out how to just slip updates in. You just don't have to worry about that anymore. Even modern browsers update themselves whenever you reload them. Well, and the the phones we're getting there. It's it's just catch twenty two, right? Because people are afraid, right? We're afraid of if yeah. you if I take this update, it's going to break. Um, but yeah, iOS a couple years releases ago, they introduced the yes, just send me updates when I'm on Wi Fi, and you're seeing the same thing when you do it with uh, the new Windows uh, Phone ten, uh, yeah. Windows Mobile ten, excuse me. So we you can't do it. It's just like a lot of people. I'm afraid, right? If this breaks my wife's phone because of an update, I tend to want someone else to be the guinea pig. Yeah, right? if it's yeah. smartly done, they should just call it maintenance mode. They should just say, "Hey, we're going into maintenance mode for a couple hours while you're sleeping tonight. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. It'll <laughs> just be good." <laughs> wow, this is some big lies. <laughs> the check is in the mail. Yeah, and everything's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well dude where do you point people now when they want to get started down this path i mean we've i do a talk and i think you've done a talk similar to that where we taught we you know a devops practice is about people and culture process first tooling comes last yeah clearly the tooling's gotten better do you see it as a way to draw people in do you point them at particular tools as a way to get started well, obviously, I have a bias because of what I know, right? I, I, yeah, I sure. work on Visual Studio Team Services every day. My startup's using it. We use release management and Angular to deploy to Azure. Um, and so what I really do is start looking at their process, right? First of all, let's, you know, so if we jump away from the people and process, just go straight to the tools, I say, okay, let's look at your unit test structure. Let's look at what goes on before you check in. I start with the developers there. And right. then it's like, okay, then we go and we, re- we look at builds again. We say, how do you do builds? Are you doing continuous integration? Now when you do a build, what does it create? Does it create something that is now testable, something I can give to someone or automatically push into some kind of testing environment, whether it's a shared dev environment for the team to test each other's stuff or is it actually a formal test environment? So it's right there. I start there, which is what goes into the check-in and going back to the builds, right? Things that should have been taken care of 10 years ago. People really should have had this figured out by now, but we're still dealing with it in 2016. Sure. Mm. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And, and yeah, how many times do you do that conversation about tests and they go, what tests? Yeah, or they, they put their heads down. They say, yeah, we tried that for a while, but we got busy and we had to write more features. Yeah, I didn't have time mm. to write tests. Yeah, never have time. Always time to do it twice. Never time to do yeah, it right the Three first times, time. four mm. times. So tell me about Duo Myth. Well, yeah, so what happened a couple of years ago, uh, we were doing some work for Microsoft and they wanted an easier way for the Microsoft field to get people to try the new versions of Visual Studio. And at one point, we were actually shipping out laptops with uh, Team Foundation Server and the latest versions of Visual Studio on them. And we wanted something to work in the cloud. And 
finally Azure got their act together and said, hey, you can have VMs allocated. As long as they're not running, it's not costing you any real money. And so we got this idea for a startup, and we first did it kind of in private with Microsoft, uh, started with the U.S. sub, and now it's something we use with Azure. In fact, we used it in the Azure Roadshow when I was with you guys in Israel and in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, so people can basically show up to the event. All they need is a laptop that can do RDP. Um, we're even actually doing a new uh, browser technology that lets you just do it from a web browser. But the bottom line is we provide you with a self-contained virtual virtual machine environment to do the experience. So it has all the things you need to do the lab. And so we built wow. a product we call Valhalla, and uh, it's something we're going public with. And it'll be basically, so you want to do a training class of anything. Basically, if you need a way to train information workers, developers, if we can put it into a virtual machine and run it on Azure, you can use our system. You can say, I need 50 VMs, click a button, and we'll go and create them, spin them up. You know, all the stuff you need to manage virtual training labs in the cloud. And then all the stuff that goes with it, your content, slides, lab materials, all that good stuff. That is so cool. Very, very cool. Well, Brian, thanks, man. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, and thanks for being here with us today. You know, I love you guys. Always great to talk to you, and it's uh, the holidays, so what better way to finish off uh, the year? Exactly. All right, and we'll talk to you later on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a